0: I've always wondered why is it that the Western countries went and settled, converted, colonized and ruled so many other lands, but other than just three oddities, nomads, including the Mongols and the anomaly that was Japan between 1880 and 1945, all the rest just messed about in their own neighborhood, inside their own countries or in their own backyards, not going too far away. What made these West European Christian countries so brazen to go far away and basically cause rampant havoc? And why is it that they're still at it? They, we, you, depends on where you're listening from, have about 1,000 bases around the world. They have what is known as the hard currency. They run the biggest corporations. They even have pop music and movies that get sent around the world. They even have big pharma, and they have big tech. Oh, and they also have big corporate media. Is it just an abnormality? Is it even inhuman nature for settled peoples to behave like religious zealots rampaging around like murderous nomads? And why, given the history, other than that of Japan, have other settled peoples not copycatted any of this? Why? I raked my brain, and then out of the blue came the Eureka moment. I personally think it was all due to one fellow back in 1095. You see, before 1095, they, the West European Christians, behaved just like all other humans. They killed in their neighbouring countries and pillaged their own people. Then, in 1095, something flipped. Just to give you some context, let's go back in time a bit. The Umayyad Conquest of Hispania, aka Spain, also known as the Muslim Conquest of the Iberian Peninsula or the Umayyad Conquest of the Visigoth Kingdom, was an initial expansion of the Umayyad Caliph over Hispania and that lasted from 711 to 718 AD. The conquest resulted in the destruction of the then Visigoth Kingdom and the formation of the Umayyad caliph. The conquest marks the westernmost expansion of both the caliph and Muslim rule into Europe. By the year 1717, a combined Arab-Berber force crossed the Pyrenees into what is now the south of France. They occupied other lands in Gaul well into the year 759. Starting in 711, Almost as soon as the Muslim armies moved through the Iberian Peninsula, the Christians attempted to take that land back. The final stand of the Muslims was that of the Kingdom of Granada, which collapsed in 1492, and that was the end of Muslim rule in Spain. At that point, all the Muslims were out of Spain. In the meanwhile, in 1095, during all of this, Pope Urban II called all Christians to go to the Holy Lands and retake the Holy Lands from the Muslims. That endeavour lasted on and off until 1291. The agitation was against lands that they, the Muslims, had held at this point for about 500 or so years. Yes, there were Christian lands before that, and yes, there were pagan Jewish lands before that. Yep, of course, the Christians are not one group and weren't a group then. And the Muslims aren't a group now and they weren't a big group then. But in the eyes of each other, each side saw the other side as a group. One set of crusaders and one set of jihadis. Now, if you want to learn more about the reconquest of Spain and the crusades, make sure to go and listen to the excellent podcast on that topic. The appropriately titled The History of the Crusades, and the other podcast called The Reconquester. Both brilliant narratives. Do not forget to check them out. Same narrator, Sharon Eastar, for both. Go for it. Back to this episode. The Crusaders were facing off against the Jihadis. That should sound familiar to listeners in 2021, of course, because since 2001 to about 2019, we saw a very familiar story play out. Anyway, my argument in this episode of the podcast is that the crusade never ended, and what started in 711 morphed into the official one called by the Pope in 1095. You know, to take back the Holy Lands from the Saracens, that then transformed into the conquest of the Americas by the same peoples that wrapped up the reconquesting of Spain. Because ironically, the year that the end of the Spanish retake happened, i.e. 1492, was the same year Columbus was sent off across the ocean when he stumbled across the Americas. And all that happened because the route east was cut off. Why? Because the Roman bastion of Constantinople finally fell to the Turks in 1453. Everything at this point was fitting like a jigsaw. Anyway, the Spanish and the other Christians moved through the Americas, turning it into something mirroring that European religion, Christianity. The Americas was the most successful crusade ever. After the Americas came colonialism. This was more of a failed crusade or something in the middle, but a crusade nonetheless. That crusade ended in about the 1980s as empires empires fell and decolonization finally kicked in. But it remained short-lived. A new crusade kicked off after World War II, this time against the atheist communists. However, the most recent crusade is the one once again against the jihadis this one having started in 2001 and roughly concluding in 2019 with the fall of isis i know the general narrative is that the muslims are bad because of them jihadi types and all that stuff but let me assure you they have nothing on the crusader states the christians were always more militant When really irritated, they get together, organize themselves, and take the battle to the foreign land, leaving no stone unturned. A jihadi is bad, a crusader is bad, and then some. For someone like me, an agnostic, the Crusades were just another barbarous war in history with some god thrown in for good measure. But for those living it, on all sides, well, they lived it. As a non-religious person myself, this conflict looks like one bunch of holy warriors versus another. Except, just when jihadis think they're winning, they lose. Not because their religious fanaticism is any less than the Christians. It is just that the crusaders were just that bit crazier. Not just that bit crazier, but a lot crazier than anyone who ever followed Muhammad ever was. Yes, the followers of Jesus were a billion times crazier. That may sound insane to many of you, because of all the craziness jihadis have been performing in the last five decades. But it's true, history is evidence. Yes, I agree, the jihadis have been running a terrible show, horrid in fact, but their attacks have been one-offs and stupidly executed, nearly exclusively against their own kind. Worse, the jihadis have made so many enemies of the infidel so much so that they united the crusaders with the atheists, the Hindus, the Buddhists, just about everyone had enough of the jihadis. And then they just let the crusaders take the war to the Muslims. The Council of Clermont is the original call to arms. This council was a mixed synod of Catholic, church and laymen called by Pope Urban II and held from the 17th to the 27th of November at Clermont which was at the time in the Duchy of Aquitaine, which is now in France. Pope Urban's speech on the 27th of November included the call to arms that would ultimately result in the First Crusade. Urban begins by reminding the clergy, present that they are shepherds, that they must be vigilant and avoid carelessness and corruption. He reminds his audience to refrain from cinnamony and to adhere to the laws of the church, Urban complains about the lack of justice and public order in the Frankish provinces and calls for the re-establishment of the truce protecting clergy from violence. In the second part of his speech, Urban urges the Frankish Christians that once they have re-established peace and righteousness in their own lands that they should turn their attention to the east and bring aid to the Christians there as the Turks had attacked them and had recently conquered the territory of Romania what Western historians might call Byzantine Anatolia, and that too as far west as the Mediterranean, as part of the known area called the Arm of St. George in the Sea of Marmara. He argued that the Saracens had captured many Christians and were destroying churches and devastating the kingdom of God. Urban called on the clergy present to publish his call to arms everywhere, and persuade all people of whatever rank, both nobles and commoners, to go to the aid of these Christians currently out east and under attack. Considering his call to arms with Christ commands it, Urban defines the crusade both as a defensive just war and a religious holy war. Urban goes on to promise immediate absolution to all those who die, either on the way to the battle or in battle against these infidels. He then connects his call to arms with his previous call for peace in Gaul, i.e. France. And I quote, Let those who have been accustomed unjustly to wage private warfare against the faithful now go against the infidels and end with victory this war which should have been begun a long time ago. Let those who for a long time have been robbers now become knights." Let those who have been fighting against their brothers and relatives now fight in a proper way against the barbarians. Let those who have been serving as mercenaries for small pay now obtain the eternal reward. Let those who have been wearing themselves out in both body and soul now work for double honour. Urban's speech was like a battle speech, full of drama and full of rhetoric. To me, This story seems almost modern. Swap out a few words here and there, and you can apply it to anything post-World War II. The fight against the communists, the Islamists, just about anyone. The Koreans, for instance, never went to fight in Europe, and the Vietnamese did not go to fight the US in the US. Europeans, Americans, they're all Europeans. Europeans have no problem going to Vietnam to crusade against the red communists. To me, Japan is the only real outlier. And that too, after they had copied and pasted the Western model of crusading, after they came out of hundreds of years of isolation themselves in the 1860s. They copied Western mindsets and made them, and made them, the Japanese, think they need to be imperialists too, or crusaders. So they went in and invaded Korea in China, and attacked many others, even the crusader state, the US. That Pope Urban II sermon in 1095 had just stuck around. Since we're talking about the crusades, I think it might be a good idea to give you a high-level overview of these crusades, and there wasn't just one, there was a quite a few, so it just goes on and on. I'm just going to mention the traditional Crusades. You know, the ones with the formal titles, the first, the second, the third, etc. And I'm not going to mention the reconquest. We're not going to go into detail on that. And we're not going to go into the details of the Conquest of the Americas or subsequent technical, in my view, Crusades. So the first Crusade started in 1095 and ended in 1099. This one consisted of the unsuccessful People's Crusade, followed by what became known as the Prince's Crusade that resulted in the final liberation of the Holy Land with the successful and bloody, you really should think about how bloody this was, where people were walking around in blood-soaked Siege of Jerusalem in 1099. The Kingdom of Jerusalem was established first under Godfrey of Bouillon a Frankish leader of the Crusade, and lasting until the loss of the last stronghold at the Siege of Acre in 1291. If you have time to look up Peter the Hermit, quite the character, go do so. There was also a minor crusade in 1101, but then came the Second Crusade and its aftermath, and that lasted 1144 to 1187. Calls for a Second Crusade were almost immediate and was led by European kings for the first time. The disastrous performance of this campaign however in the Holy Lands damaged the standing of the papacy. It soured relations between the Christians of the kingdom and the West for many years and encouraged Muslims of Syria to gain even greater efforts to defeat the Franks. The dismal failures of this second crusade then set the stage for the fall of Jerusalem leading to the third crusade Co-current campaigns as part of the reconquest and northern crusades are also sometimes associated with this crusade. Then came the Third Crusade, 1187-1197. The news of the disastrous defeat and Hattin and subsequent fall of Jerusalem gradually reached Western Europe. Pope Urban III died shortly after hearing the news, and his successor, Gregory VIII, issued the bull Audita Tremendi on the 29th of August, October 1187, describing the terrible events in the East and urging all Christians to take up arms and go to the aid of those in the kingdom of Jerusalem. In his view, the capture of Jerusalem was punishment for the sins of the Christians across Europe. So he called for a new crusade to the Holy Land. This one, of course, was our third crusade, On the 2nd of September 1192, following his defeat, Richard I, the Lionheart, and Saladin entered into treaty, the Treaty of Jaffa, providing that Jerusalem would remain under Muslim control while allowing unarmed Christian pilgrims and traders to freely visit the city. The Christians would hold the coast from Tyre to Jaffa, practically reducing the Latin kingdoms to the corresponding coastal strip. This treaty ended the Third Crusade, and Richard departed the Holy Lands on the 9th of October, 1192. The Fourth Crusade and the Latin Empire lasted from 1197 to 1204. In 1198, the recently elected Pope Innocent III announced a whole new crusade, the fourth one, organised by three Frenchmen, Theobald of Champagne, Louis of Bois, and Baldwin of Flanders. This crusade is also known for the sack of Constantinople. The sack of Constantinople involved three days of pillaging churches, yes churches, and killing much of the Greek Orthodox Christian population. Yes, Greek Orthodox Christian population. Although stuff like this was not unusual behavior at the time, even contemporaries such as Pope Innocent III and Ali ibn al atir the Muslim, saw this as an act of craziness against centuries of classical and Christian civilization. The city, of course, was a marvel of the ancient age. The city survived then as a shadow of its former self, eventually getting weaker and weaker until its eventual fall to the Muslim Turks in 1453. Yes, the Fourth Crusade, led to the ultimate collapse of the greatest Christian city on earth. The result was that the Fourth Crusade never came even within 1,000 miles of its objective, i.e. Jerusalem. Instead, it increased Latin territory in the East, including over Constantinople, demonstrating that poor organization could wreak havoc and expedite and set a precedent that crusades could legitimately attack not only Muslims but other enemies of the papacy. Yes, other enemies of the papacy. Who's that? That's right, it's the Eastern Church. The Fifth Crusade lasted from 1217 to 1221. In the 13th century, the Mongols became a new military threat to the Christian and Islamic worlds. They defeated the Seljuk Turks and threatened the Crusader states while sweeping west from Mongolia through southern Russia, Poland, and Hungary. The Mongols were predominantly pagans but some were Christians. Innocent III called for another crusade at the Fourth Latin Council. A force primarily raised from Hungary, Germany and Flanders, led by King Andrew II of Hungary and Leopold VI, Duke of Austria, achieved little in what is categorised as the Fifth Crusade. The strategy was to attack Egypt because it was isolated from the other Islamic power centres. It could technically be easier to defend and was self-sufficient in food. Leopold and John of Beane, the King of Jerusalem, and later Latin Emperor of Constantinople, besieged and captured Demetia, but an army advancing into Egypt was compelled to surrender. Demetia was returned. So ended the Fifth Crusade, starting the Sixth Crusade. In the Sixth Crusade, the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick II, was excommunicate, excommunicated for frequently breaking an obligation to the Pope to join the crusade itself. In 1225, his marriage to Isabella II of Jerusalem, John of Brienne's daughter and heir, meant that he had a claim to the Kingdom of Jerusalem. In 1227, he embarked on crusade, but was forced to abandon it due to illness, but in 1228, he finally reached Acre. Culturally, Frederick was a Christian monarch most empathetic to the Muslim world, having grown up in Sicily with a Muslim bodyguard and even a haram. Despite his excommunication by the Pope, Gregory IX, his diplomatic skills meant the Sixth Crusade was largely a negotiation supported by force. A peace treaty treaty granted Latin Christians most of Jerusalem and a strip of territory that linked the city to Acre. The Muslims controlled their sacred sites and an alliance was made with Al-Kamil, the Sultan of Egypt, against all his enemies of whatever religion. This treaty and suspicions about Frederick's ambitions in the region made him unpopular and when Pope Gregory IX attacked his Italian domains, he was compelled to return and defend them. There was what became known as the Baron's Crusade that was first led by Count Theobald I of Navarre and when he returned to Europe, the King of England's brother Richard of Cornwall. Then we head into the Seventh Crusade from 1248 to 1254. The French were led by the very devout Louis IX King of France and his ambitiously expansionist brother Charles. Louis sent an embassy to the Mongols in Iran in 1249 seeking a Franco-Mongol alliance. Louis then organized a brand new crusade, obviously the Seventh Crusade, to attack Egypt, arriving in 1249. He was defeated and captured and retreated to Damietta. Another 10-year truce was agreed. Louis and his nobles were ransomed while other prisoners were given a choice between conversion to Islam or beheading. He remained in Syria until 1254 to consolidate the crusader states, leading to then, in 1270, the Eighth Crusade, In 1270, Charles turned to his brother, King Louis IX's crusade, into what became known as the Eighth One, to his own advantage by persuading him to attack his rebel Arab vessels in Tunis. The crusader army was ultimately devastated by disease and Louis himself died at Tunis on the 25th of August, 1270. That one was followed by a very quick one called Lord Edward's crusade, um Lord Edward was the future King Edward I of England, and that didn't last long. That was the end of the big crusades. There were other crusades too. The Crusades in the Baltics, for example, were a big one, and of course the reconquest of Spain. But the Crusader DNA never went away. The Jesus myth transformed to the Enlightenment, Liberalism, and Science. The plot remained the same. Civilized the savages, The new crusades included the scramble for Africa, the colonies in Asia, and the settlements in Australia and New Zealand. Other than the not-so-minor impasse known as World War I and II, science and enlightenment crusading was replaced by freedom and democracy crusading. You had crusades against the atheist, ungodly red communists all over the world, eventually resulting in the destruction of at least some of the communist entities. The crusaders even laid laid siege, like medieval times, but not to like cities, but to entire countries, like putting economic sanctions on places like Cuba and Venezuela and so on. Brutal confrontations in Korea, Vietnam and Afghanistan resulted in untold casualties, including on civilian populations. The outcome of this crusade seemed mixed. Then... As of the publication of this podcast actually in September of 2021, almost 20 years ago to the day, the jihadis, the year old the enemies, attacked the Christians in their large population centers. Keep in mind that by this point the crusader armies had close to 1000 military bases all over the world, including in jihadi regions of the world. The nose was firmly in someone else's business and for that, the jihadis would mount the mother of all attacks. But like all these holy wars, the jihadis were crazy, but the crusaders were just more so. After the September 11th attacks, no stone would be unturned and any opposition or any deviation of the Muslims would be quickly countered by the crusaders at every turn. The Jihadis by this point had made so many enemies, not just with the Crusaders, but just about everyone else, such as the Hindus, Buddhists, communists, etc., and even each other, yes, even against each other, that their eventual collapse was inevitable. But again, the Crusaders lost a lot and they were not able to get a very solid victory, kind of like the Eighth Crusade or the Fourth Crusade where Saladin and Richard strike a deal. Well, what about the future? Of course, no one knows but we do know that for 1,310 years of history, that tells us that the Crusaders, they keep coming. Risks to future Crusades are China for one, but China typically plays in its own backyard, often butchering its own citizens rather than bothering with protected wars in faraway lands. Yes, true, China does mess with some of its neighbors, but again, doesn't bother with going to faraway lands and certainly hasn't at the point of this podcast. Russia tries to emulate the crusaders, but their Slavic DNA isn't good enough. That oomph seems to be a Latin Christian masterpiece. What could a future crusade look like? It's hard to say. But if trends prove right, then the woke liberal elite may want a crusade to enforce something crazy and insane like the critical race theory all over the world. Maybe, maybe not, but stranger things have happened. You know, like when Pope Urban II in 1095 called the Latin Christians to go and retake the Holy Lands. You have been listening to the Alternative History Podcast. Please make sure you like, follow and subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends. Thank you so very much.